0: Wow, we're glad you're here this morning. Thanksgiving week. Thanksgiving's over. No cheers. Is that a good thing? Um, Christmas is coming. That's better. All right. Uh, We had a good Thanksgiving. Um, Our daughter and son-in-law are visiting. There they are over there. Thank you. I couldn't find you. Uh, Visiting from Oregon. Uh, Not the one with the twins. Uh, so I don't go up and say, where's the babies? Because wrong ones. Um, man, we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? In spite of what the community has gone through over these last several weeks, we have a lot to be thankful for. Jesus is king. He's still on the throne. Our hope is in him, and we have nothing to fear. Right? We're continuing in our uh, study of 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 this morning. So, open your Bibles. Uh, If you need a Bible, I believe the ushers have Bibles. Just raise your hand and they will give you one. Um, Right back there's one. Oops. Uh, Chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And a couple over there. All right. Uh, Last week, we saw that the last few verses of um, chapter 4 end with this contrast between the seen and the unseen. The temporal and the eternal. Uh, Todd uh, unpacked that for us. Now in chapter 5 and verse 1, as we open that up, Paul's going to give us the reason why that, that difference between the, the unseen and the seen, the temporal and the eternal is so important. So let's take a look. We're gonna start, I'm going to start reading at 416 and uh, read down through. So we do not lose heart. These unseen things are eternal because verse chapter five verse one because we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I'm just gonna keep reading. Uh, verse two. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. And and what Paul's talking about there is when, when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we would be found without Christ. That's the nakedness he's talking about there. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, again, without the righteousness of Christ, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Amen? Hmm. But whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So Paul, in this text, is calling this present life, this life that we are living right now, he calls it a tent, which is the scene and the temporal. We see life. We look out and we can see it. And he compares our future life that we can't see to a a building, a house not made with hands. Uh, which is unseen and eternal. We can't see that future house. We believe it by faith, as we're going to see, but we can't see it. So what I want to do today in this passage is compare and contrast these two ages of time, if you will. There is this life, and there is the future life, and it's represented by two kinds of dwellings, a tent and a permanent home. Got it? All right. Now, the key point that he's going to make is that God is at work in the lives of those of us who know Jesus to, to gradually, maybe sometimes more quickly, move our affections away from these transient, seen things of this life and build in us a passion to cling on to those things that are unseen. He wants us to gradually be removed from all of the affections of this world that that consume us and occupy us, and live for what is unseen, for the eternal age, for that future home in heaven, which is living for Jesus alone. Now I'm going to use two terms to refer to these two ages, and I'm going to use these consistently throughout this sermon, so I'm going to talk about Act 1 and Act 2, as if Our existence is a two-act drama. This life is act one. The coming future life that none of us are there yet is act two. Uh, This life, act one, it's what we see and experience with our senses. It's temporary. It's a tent, Paul says. The future life, what is unseen, it's eternal. It's a permanent home. And so that's where we're going this morning to look at these two acts. Uh, First of all, let's look at Act 1, this present life. It's, it's, It's our 70 or our 80 or our 90 years or whatever God chooses to give us on this life. For some, it's less, one year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, but it's our life. And it's all the things that happened to us in life, all of the experiences of this life. It's going to college or not going to college. It's, it's love and marriage or, or not love and marriage or singleness. It's children or no children. It's, it's unexpected cancer and death. It's the loss of everything we own in a crazy fire. It's the joy of a wedding. It's the joy of a friend's wedding. It's the birth of our children. It's, it's the death of our dreams. It's pain and suffering. It's joy and exhilaration. It's it's this life. Maybe most of all it's realizing how fast it goes. Can I get an amen? Anybody life going slow? Man, it goes fast. It's realizing how fragile it is. It's realizing how temporary it is. This is not the sum total of our existence. Paul explains that in Act 1, this life, we should live like we're in a tent, which is temporary, it's fragile, it's uncomfortable. Living in a tent is an uncomfortable existence. Uh, look at uh, verses 1 through 4. Uh, Paul says that this tent that is our earthly home, Uh of verse 2, he says it's in this tent we groan. Uh, verse 4, in this tent we groan, uh, repeated theme there. Living in a tent comes with its share of hardships and inconveniences. Uh, if you've ever camped in a tent, you know, it's, it's not the same as at home. You're cooking over a fire or maybe a stove, and then the wind blows and blows the fire out. Uh, it's using an outhouse. It's uh, sitting on logs or maybe canvas chairs. It's uh, not having electricity. Uh, it's uncomfortable. And if it rains, it's really uncomfortable. It's temporary. It's temporary. Uh, so, too, in this life. This life is like living in a tent. There's, there's, there's discomforts, there's inconveniences, there's suffering, there's hardships, there's unexpected trials that just simply go with the territory of life in this present age because it is temporary. We shouldn't be surprised when life throws things like that at us. Uh, we need to quit expecting things in life to go smooth. Because it's just a temporary existence. We're camping in a temporary tent. We are not glamping. You know what glamping is? It's that luxury camping where your, camp, your tent and your campsite is nicer than your house. <clears throat> That's not what we're doing. So the, uh, the adults in our church, in one of our churches in Alaska... Decided it would be fun to go on an adult campout. It would be fun, they said. (laughs) So uh, we were going to canoe out to an island in the middle of a lake, and we were going to camp in our tents. And it would be fun, they said. So uh, loaded up, packed up, canoed out to the island, had the whole island to ourselves. So everybody kind of picked a spot, set up their tent. You know, it was the middle of the day, we were going to do dinner together, and it started to rain. So uh, we did dinner together, as uncomfortable as that was, and uh, then it was like, what do you do? It's raining. So everybody got in their tents and went to bed. Now, this is Alaska in the middle of the summer, so the sun doesn't go down, so it's full daylight, we're in our tents, it's raining, and then the wind decides to blow, and it blew, and It blew. Um, I think our tent was the last one to blow down, Um, so people started coming to us, and it's like, don't come here, because our tent's going down too. Everybody's tents down, everybody's wet, the wind's blowing, Um, so I guess somehow the night passed, and we made breakfast together, and it's like, okay, we need to get out of here. We're not staying another night. This is no fun. So uh, the first two guys get in the canoe. They pack up all the cast iron cookware, start canoeing. The canoe capsizes All the cast iron cookware, I believe it's still at the bottom of the lake. I I don't think anybody's gone after it. And they quickly realized there's no way we can canoe back. So they made it to shore, went and got a motorboat, came back, and ferried us all back and forth in the motorboat, pulling the empty canoes behind the boat. It would be fun, they said. Okay, that's camping. All of you probably have a camping experience or a canoeing experience. I once heard the best way to build family unity is to go on a canoe trip together uh, because you suffer together and you experience things. But that's a metaphor for what this life is like, right? This life is fragile. It's temporary. The wind blows. It knocks down our tent, we die much younger than we were supposed to. Things didn't work out the way we dreamed it when we were 15. And life takes these twists and these turns, and we shouldn't be surprised because it's temporary. But we so bad want stability. There is, there is something in us that tries to make this life our permanent, stable home when Paul simply calls it a tent. So, we try to build security in our careers or our family or our 401k. And we try to create structures around us in this life to keep it stable and permanent and solid so that the wind and the rain doesn't come in and hurt our tent. But this life is not our permanent home. And no matter how hard we try, it doesn't work. But the hope is we have a permanent home waiting for us, and it's got a roof. And it's got air conditioning. And it's got central heat. And it has a real bathroom and a real kitchen. Metaphorically speaking, you understand, right? And so, so don't try to make this tent so comfortable because there's a house waiting for us. Just like our camping trip. It's like, forget it, we're going home. We're not. This is supposed to be a two-day, no way, we're going home. We, I want to go back to my house where it's dry. That home is waiting for us. We need to live this life like we're camping in a temporary campground in a tent. Not like we're at our permanent home. Now that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with owning a house. Doesn't in any sense remove the tragedy of thousands of people in California who are literally living in tents because their house is gone but it does mean that we don't hold these earthly devices too tightly because this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. You know that song? You know that song? Two of you do. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That's all you're going to get. Boy, that's good. We're just passing through. I mean, we should enjoy what we have. I'm not saying we, 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 we despise it. We should enjoy the good things that God's given us. But God is in the business of teaching us to hold those things loosely. Because our security, our stability is in Christ alone and in his promise of a coming act too. But meanwhile, we groan. <laughs> Look at verses two and four we're in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. For while, verse 4, while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. I kept thinking about the little literal groaning that takes place when you're camping in a tent, just trying to get out of the tent. There's this groaning and like, oh, that's why we don't tent anymore. We don't even camp anymore. Um, But what Paul's saying here is that that we are groaning under the weight of the weakness and the suffering in this life. We long to be with Jesus. We long to see him face to face. We long to be in his presence. We long to be done with all of the ills and the suffering and the hardship of this life. Verse 8, Paul says, We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We groan because we want to make sure that when we stand before Jesus at the judgment, which I'll talk about in verse 10, that we're not naked, standing there in our own flesh, and our own righteousness, but we're standing there clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And Paul says we should groan being fearful that we won't stand there in the righteousness of Jesus. I, I don't know about you, but over the last few weeks, Don and I, we're just done. Um, I'm sure a lot of us felt that same way. We were groaning. We were feeling heavy. We were grieving with those who have lost so much. We're like, okay, Lord, we're done with the tent. Take us to our house. And as I would text uh, family and friends around the country uh, about information on the shootings at Borderline and on um, information on the fires, they would text, say, You guys okay? Where where are you? What's going on? And, and uh, you all got that too, I'm sure. I would often end the text with, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Just get me out of here. Feel that way? You guys feel that way? Let's just get out of here. Let's just go. I'm done. We need to understand that as long as we are here, we live for Jesus, and there is work to do. As long as he sees fit to keep us here, we live well and we live hard. There's no room to sell your house and go sit on a hilltop waiting for Jesus to come back. That's not how we live. We live well. So act one is temporary. It passes quickly. It's filled with suffering and hardship. It's filled with illness and sickness and disappointment. It's filled with joy and high points too. But we really shouldn't be too surprised about how life is because it's like living in a tent. If we can get that metaphor, if you've never camped before, I encourage you to buy a tent, buy some sleeping bags, and go camping and realize this is a metaphor for what this life is like. And I'm sure your tent and sleeping bags would be on eBay the next day. <laughs> God is at work to move our affections away from the things of earth and focus them on Him. Let's look at uh, Act Two our future, eternal permanent home it's waiting for us if if you're a believer in Jesus it's waiting for you our home in heaven will never crumble it'll never fade it'll never burn there's no more tears there's no more pain look at verse 1 again and how it describes our 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 future home it's a building from God it's a house not made with hands It's eternal in the heavens. It's our heavenly dwelling. In contrast to a tent which is temporary and fragile and uncomfortable, we have a house, we have a building, permanent, earthquake and fire resistant, central heat, air conditioning, the whole thing. It's an eternal house that is that is even better than glamping. And in that house is the very presence of Jesus. And we'll be in this face-to-face relationship with him for all eternity. That's the future. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith in him for salvation, then this is a home that's waiting for you. It's on the other side. It's right there. Remember a few weeks ago I preached about amen, that Jesus' promises are yes and amen? Amen. We forget really fast, don't we? So we have that eternal home. We're in the very presence of Jesus in a house that will never fade, deteriorate, or burn. All right. That's the future. That's what we have waiting for us. Does that not help us live this life just a little bit better? Does that not, you know what, when the disappointments and the hardships come, it's like, okay, that's Awful, that's terrible, that's tragic, but something better is coming. Something better is coming. These are the unseen things of of chapter 4 and verse 18 that we talked about last week. This is the coming eternal weight of glory of chapter 4 and verse 17. This is why we don't lose heart, chapter 4 and verse 16. Because we know that this life is not all there is, even when this tent is destroyed, and that's what that's what Paul's saying in the text. When this, if this, he says if, but it's when this tent is destroyed, because it will be destroyed. This this life will die. We have an eternal home in heaven, and so we're of good courage. We don't lose heart because we know Act Two is coming, and in comparison to the, the sufferings, or comparison to what is coming in act two in our future eternal life, the sufferings of this present life, act one, are a momentary light affliction. I know it doesn't always feel like momentary and light, but someday when we look back, we're gonna go, that was nothing. That was nothing. Look at the glory. Look at the home that I have here. That was nothing. That was nothing. Now, the problem is we can't see it. It's unseen. And so we have to believe it by faith. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8. Paul says, we're always of good courage. We know that while we were at home in the body, in other words, while we're living this life, we're away from the Lord. We're not in that life yet. Verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We live our lives by faith. Present tense, continuous ongoing action. Every day we wake up and live by faith knowing that this is not all there is. Verse 8, yes, we are of good courage. And I just lost page 9 of my notes. And wait for it. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We live in light of our future permanent home in heaven, but that requires faith. Remember Abraham in the Old Testament? God said, leave your home, leave your security, leave everything you know, and go to a land, I'll, I'll tell you where, just start going. You get in your car, pack up your stuff, start driving, let's, let's just say start driving east, and I'll tell you where you should end up. Would that take some faith? So Abraham did. And in Hebrews 11, we read this by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents. I love this. This is why I think Paul wrote Hebrews. Not really, I don't know who wrote Hebrews, but Paul uses, or the writer of Hebrews uses the same example as Paul does in in 2 Corinthians. Abraham went living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in the same promise. Why could he do that? Why could he live in tents? Why could he live in a very unstable, insecure life on this earth? Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. As far as I know, the only land that Abraham ever owned of the promised land was a cemetery oh. plot, a place to bury his wife and himself. But by faith, he believed it because he knew there was a better city, a better house, a better place waiting for him so I can live this life. Insecure. How did Abraham know that? He didn't even have Second Corinthians. God revealed it to him and he knew it and he believed it. And when we do believe, when we have this kind of faith, we have courage to live this life. We have courage to face everything that this life throws at us. And again, over the last few weeks, it's thrown a lot. Fires and shootings and and sickness and death and unemployment and flat tires on the freeway and whatever life throws at us, we have the courage to face, face it because we believe by faith this world is not all there is. Again, let me say, that does not remove the tragedy and the grief of the suffering on this earth. We grieve it, we suffer it, but we have courage. One of the reasons I think it's so hard for us to do this is because we we live in such a now centered culture. We want instant gratification, live for the moment. That makes it difficult for us to to realize how transient Act 1 is because we just want to live for today. We can't even think past today. We're we're so enamored with the present that we won't even RSVP an event just in case something better comes along. You know what FOMO is? Heard of FOMO? (laughs) Yeah, Russell has. Fear of missing out. By the way, there's a few events coming up in the church calendar that need RSVPs. So if you're really listening this morning, there should be a flurry of RSVPs this afternoon. Man, that makes it hard to live by faith. To live in light of the coming act to the eternal future reality, because we simply cannot conceive of anything that is really much better than this life. One commentator said this, We're glutted on the second-rate happiness of this world. We are too full to hunger after God. Glutted on the second-rate happiness of this world, we're too full to hunger after God and those eternal unseen things that are waiting for us. Which may be one of the reasons why on occasion God takes away our idols of second-rate happiness. Because he's graciously, continuously moving our affections from things of this earth to things that are unseen and of the future world. When I was younger, I wanted my piece of Alaska. We found it and we bought it. It was a major fixer upper. Most people look at it and say, give it back. We poured our hearts and souls into remodeling that house, fixing the problems, uh, decorating it, making it home. We raised our kids in that house. I loved our little half acre of wilderness. But God saw that I was trying to make a permanent home out of this temporary transient life. He saw that I was was way too vested in this piece of earth. So God graciously tenderly began to pry it out of my tight little fist. And when the day came to sell that house, it was really painful. It was really hard to let somebody else move into that house and have it. And we realized that we had put down earthly roots way too deep. God had to move our affections away from the things of this earth and direct them more toward him. Direct them away from idolatry of a house and of a place and fix our eyes on him. That, that house was simply a tent compared to our eternal home. And it's neat how God has k- kind of given me this over the years as I've thought about it. Uh, we sold it 20 years ago. I thought, ha, they have to deal with that roof. And uh, the septic system was never quite right. So that's their problem now. It's like there's this part of me that God just says, you know what, I'm so glad I got rid of that piece of tent because I don't have to deal with it now. Now, we still love to fix up our homes. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But we have a much more temporary perspective. There's nothing wrong with owning a house or fixing it up, but we need to hold it loosely. And if God sees fit to take it away, It's his. It's okay. What is it for you? Ask yourself, what are you clinging to way too tightly on this earth? What does God need to pry your fingers off of? What are you holding so tight that he's got to just start prying your hands off of it? I asked myself this week, as I was preparing this and thinking about this, I would say, Lord, what is it? you've, You've asked me to give up lots of things over the years and I've given them up, bigger, bigger, obvious things like a house or whatever, but what what am I holding on to too tightly today? How, How do my affections need to be moved from this earth and the things of this earth to things above? So ask yourself that. I'm not going to tell you what I come up with. Um, ask yourself, God, what what am I holding too tightly? Now, knowing how hard it would be to, to live in light of the unseen act two, God gave us a down payment. God gave us a deposit, guaranteeing that it's coming. Because like, yeah, I can't see it. I don't know if it's really there or not. Look at verse five. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Okay, God is the author of this who has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Paul taught this same truth back in 122 of 2 Corinthians. Uh, The same word is used there, the same word for guarantee. Uh, This is a financial term that refers to a down payment paid out as a guarantee that the commitment will be honored. It always implies a payment that is tied to something bigger. And it gives the person who gets the down payment or the deposit a legal claim to the rest of it. So God says, I, I want you to know that what's coming is guaranteed. It's absolutely certain. So I'm going to give you, listen, listen to how I say this. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit as a small part of what's coming. Seriously? Seriously? The Holy Spirit is a small part. It's just a deposit. It's just a down payment of what's coming. Can we even begin to comprehend what else there is if the Holy Spirit's only the deposit? Wow. But he is a guarantee that act two is coming. And we don't have to worry. As we move through the text now, Paul is coming to the climax of his argument. Allowing God to turn our affections from the things of this earth to things above is so important because we will all face the righteous, eternal, sovereign judge someday. Verse 10. Nope. There it is. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body or this life, whether good or evil. And I take that to mean whether we have lived a life of faith in Jesus Christ or not. Scholars disagree on how these judgments work. I'm seeing this as one single final judgment and that he's talking about salvation here. What he's saying is history is linear. It's moving towards something. There is an end point. History is not cyclical. I mean, there's a sense in which we you know, cycle through the same things. But ultimately, history is moving toward a final point. Act one will be over, and we will stand before Christ in the final judgment. Hebrews nine twenty seven says it's it's pointed for man wants to die, and after that comes the judgment. In other words, it's appointed, it's determined, it's foreordained that you will die, and then you will stand before the judgment. The Roman, or I mean, the Greek word here is um, bema. You've heard of the bema seat, possibly in your studies of end times. The image comes from the Roman governors who would sit on their benches to render judgment in legal cases. In Acts 18, Paul stood before the judgment seat, or the bema of Galileo, when he was in Corinth. For believers, this is where we will be found clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and enter heaven, our permanent home. This is where Act 2 begins for us. We will stand, everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. On one hand, it sounds terrifying. I think for some, it will be terrifying. But for those of us who, who are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, it's going to be glorious because he will look at us and he will say, my son, my daughter, enter heaven. Your home's waiting. But for unbelievers, this judgment seat is where they are exposed as unbelievers. We can fake it in this life. You can possibly convince your friends and family that you really are a follower of Jesus, but at this point in time, it, you will be we will all be exposed for actually what's going on. Paul uses the term naked in verse 3 and unclothed in verse 4 to describe those that will stand before Jesus in their own flesh, counting on their own righteousness to get them into heaven How many times have we heard people say, well, you know, I think my good outweighs my bad, so I should make it. Oh, that should cause us pain, because that won't work. Those people will be sent away into the lake of fire for all eternity. Matthew 25 spells this out pretty graphically. Let me read it. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And I would say that's probably this judgment seat of Christ. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right but the goats on His left. And the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In other words, you are my children. Enter act two, your eternal home. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is sobering. Man, if some of you are here today that have not put your faith in Christ alone for salvation. Today's the day. We have people after the service, we'll have people up here in the prayer room that would love to talk to you, pray with you, share how you can have this eternal relationship, and how your eternal destination changes from those on the left that go into eternal, the eternal lake of fire, to those on the right who go into the Act Two glorious temple, or, or not temple, but but permanent house, not made with hands. This tent is all you have if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. That's it. That's as good as it gets. I tell you what, if this life is as good as it gets, yuck. I'm hoping, knowing, I'm certain, believe by faith that there's a better better homecoming. So believers, what do we do? Verse 9, whether we are at home, in other words, this life, act one, or away, the future life, act two, we make it our aim to please him. The word aim here means ambition or goal. It's the thing that we're striving hard to attain. Pleasing God means living with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Living as if we are in temporary tents. Embracing weakness so Jesus is seen as strong. Living... Living a way, walking in such a way that we please him means we keep learning to let go of the earthly things that simply don't matter. Colossians and Matthew both summarize it well. If you've been raised in Christ, seek the things that are above. Verse two, set your minds on things that are above. Matthew, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's what we strive for. That's how we live. Act one is a tent. It's temporary. It's temporary. Act two is permanent and forever, and it's our home. Just this week, uh, some of you may have heard this, uh, Johnny Erickson Tada, whose ministry is just over the hill in Agoura Hills, was diagnosed with a new cancerous tumor. She's been a quadriplegic for 51 years. She's battled cancer, been declared cancer-free. This week, it's resurfaced. I think it's instructive for us to see how she is processing this new development, how she's living in light of Act 2, even as she deals with the suffering in Act 1. This is a quote from her news release in Johnny and Friends. I want to, let me read it to you. When I received the unexpected news of cancer from my oncological surgeon, I relaxed and smiled. Okay, now how many have that response to getting news of cancer? knowing that my sovereign God loves me dearly and holds me tightly in his hands. What good is it if we only trust the Lord when we understand his ways? That only guarantees a life filled with doubts. Jesus is ecstasy beyond compare, and if new hardships draw us closer to him, I'm more than content with it. That's act two living while we are still in act one. All of the sufferings and the difficulties and the hardships and the trials of this life are simply to prepare us for a relationship with Jesus so that when we go into Act 2, we're ready to be there. So as we close this morning, I want to I close in prayer. I want to pray for Johnny. Tomorrow, she's having surgery. And as you think of her and the ministry over there and how powerful it's been worldwide, uh, continue to pray for her too. Lord Jesus, thank you for the absolute assurance that this is not all there is. And that we can go through the trials and the difficulties and the fire and the, and the cancer and the suffering and the, and the hardship. We can go through it if we are believers in Jesus. We can go through it knowing this is temporary. This is tent living. And we shouldn't be surprised that living in a tent is a little bit uncomfortable. But we have a permanent home waiting for us, a house not made with hands, a heavenly dwelling where we will live for all eternity and be with you. And Father, I pray for for Johnny today. I pray that as she goes into surgery tomorrow, I pray for the surgeons and the doctors. I pray for wisdom. I pray for Ken as her husband, as he stands by. I pray for the, the worldwide network of Johnny and friends that there would be such an outpouring of prayer today and tomorrow, for her. And Lord, whether you you heal her or take her, may her life continue to bring glory to you and encourage us as we walk the path of this difficult life. In Jesus' name, amen.